Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC and the Raskin Family Fund, with additional funding from Robert Conrad, Cleveland State University, the Chautauqua Institution, the Cleveland Clinic, and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated. Good afternoon and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland. I'm Robin Minter Smyers, a partner at Thompson Hine and president of the City Club's Board of Directors. I'm very pleased to introduce today's speaker, the Honorable Karen Freeman Wilson, Mayor of Gary, Indiana, and president of the National League of Cities. Mayor Freeman Wilson was elected Mayor of Gary, Indiana in 2012, the first woman to lead the city and the first African-American woman mayor in the state of Indiana. Her accomplishments include extensive infrastructure improvements, including significant investments at the Gary Chicago International Airport, the creation of Art House, a work of public art that doubles as a small business incubator, and developments at Indiana University and the Indiana Dunes National Lakeshore, and in downtown Gary. She will leave office in December 2019 after serving two terms as mayor. She succeeded our own Cleveland Councilman, Matt Zone, as president of the National League of Cities, the nation's largest organization representing cities and their leaders. Under her leadership, the National League of Cities will focus on four priority areas, helping city leaders tackle the housing crisis, uplifting legacy cities, creating communities for all generations, and encouraging civic engagement. Through these four pillars of work and a national campaign, she hopes to engage city leaders to create more meaningful bond between the communities and their residents. Prior to her role as mayor, Ms. Freeman Wilson served as Indiana Attorney General, the director of the Indiana Civil Rights Commission, and as the presiding judge of the Gary City Court. She's also a leader of the National Drug Court Movement, having served as the CEO of the National Association of Drug Court Professionals and Executive Director of the National Drug Court Institute. Mayor Friedman Wilson is a graduate of Harvard College and Harvard Law School. Esteemed guests, members, and friends of the City Club, please join me in welcoming the Honorable Karen Freeman Wilson, Mayor of Gary, Indiana. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, first and foremost, let me thank your president, uh, Ms. Stephanie Smyers, for such a gracious introduction. I also want to thank uh, Dan Moltrup for such engaging conversation earlier today, and I want to release him to get on the road because Maine is a long, long way. Uh, but I am extremely humbled by the invitation to join you here at the City Club. I know that you have had individuals far and wide to talk and engage you in meaningful conversation and the fact that you have seen fit 
to add me to that list. I understand um, what a tremendous honor it is. And while I certainly appreciated all of the things that were said in the introduction, I understand also that it is never about who I am, but whose I am. I also want to uh, give a, a couple of shout outs, I would be remiss if I didn't, certainly to our NLC family and uh, Matt Zone, uh, your councilman, but also my friend and someone who I've been honored to serve with in leadership at NLC, as well as uh, Jane Gooden, who is um, the individual who uh, gives life to our EENR and all of our NLC family who are here. I am uh, so honored that you have stopped through today, as well as the members of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority who, are, who join us here today, especially my online sister, Yvette Coleman-Graham. Uh, you know, I thought about what I would uh, talk to you about. I got a number of emails and letters saying you have 28 minutes. <laughs> and now that you know that I am a professional vagabond making me uh, know a little bit about a lot of things, which is just uh, a sign of danger, <laughs> I, I thought that there are a variety of things that I could share with you. I could talk to you certainly about the National League of Cities and our advocacy about infrastructure and the importance of infrastructure, as we all know, across this country. Uh, last Tuesday, July 9th, we issued our Housing Task Force report and talked about the commonalities about the housing crisis in this country, and, and certainly I could talk to you about that. I could talk to you about the historical kinship of the communities of Cleveland and Gary, Indiana, as uh, on the same day in 1967 and 1968, we made history as we elected African-American mayors to major cities for the first time in this country by electing uh, Mayor Carl Stokes and Mayor Richard Gordon Hatcher. I could talk to you about how that history has come full circle in that we have shared so much as communities. And in fact, uh, the Cleveland Botanical Garden gave us a blueprint for initiating green infrastructure in the city of Gary. And, and I could talk a long time about that because it has been so transformational in our community. I could talk to you about how we were able to adopt the work around vacant and abandoned buildings that you're doing in not just the city of Cleveland, but in the state of Ohio. Uh, and the work that has come as a result of our adaptation of the work that you do with the Hardest Hit Fund around 
demolition and deconstruction because we do share a vacant and abandoned building problem. Or I could talk about the smart city movement and how that smart city movement has not only been effective in Cleveland, but it has been effective in Gary and cities across the United States as we all work to do more with less. We could talk about budgets and how for the first time in 15 years, we anticipate having a balanced budget in the city of Gary by the end of this year. Or we could discuss the award-winning million-dollar public art project that is Art House that uh, we received from Bloomberg Philanthropies. And when they said you can take this $1 million and just create a public art project and it doesn't have to live a long time, and I shared with them, I can't do that in Gary, Indiana. It's got to live forever. If we're going to put $1 million in it, I don't care whose money it is. It's a million dollars in a city that has seen a lot of challenges. I could talk to you about Art House. But I don't want to talk about any of those things, although I will certainly entertain questions about those things. I want to talk to you about a simple theme that we have taken up this year during our presidency uh, at the National League of Cities. And it simply embraces the theme of love, love my city. And I want to share with you how we got to that because it seems so ungovernmental. And I know that's not a word. <laughs> but it seems so um, different because in government, you talk about data and budgets and infrastructure and, and all of those things that are extremely important, but you rarely, rarely talk about love. And the reason that I embrace that concept, notwithstanding the fact that I understand the challenges that have been created by the opioid epidemic and uh, my history in working with drug treatment courts, the reason that I embrace that, notwithstanding my clear comprehension about the health crisis. And it was ironic that uh, there was a discussion about dementia and Alzheimer's because I'm a caregiver uh, of nine years and my mother suffers from Alzheimer's brought on by a series of six strokes. But what I have come to see over the last three years with this national, and even at some state levels, this discourse that has largely been driven by the significant divide in national politics helps me to understand that as the officials at the level of government 
where the rubber meets the road, local officials, that we have to engender civility, that we have to engender tolerance, and yes, that we have to promote love. And so we came up with the idea that it was important for those individuals that we serve to understand that as much as we understand the impact and the importance of policy, that it was much more important for them to understand that we love our cities. And not just our cities, but our citizens. Because when you love someone, I mean really, really love someone, it makes it that much easier to serve them, even when they're criticizing you. Uh, when you love them, it makes it that much easier to look past the fact that you're in the Y and they're in the Y and you're in the locker room and they're in the locker room and you're getting out of the shower and they stop to ask you a question. <laughs> Even though you haven't been able to get your clothes on. <laughs> but because you love them and because you're committed to serving, you simply say, would you mind if I just put my clothes on and <laughs> then I'll ask, answer whatever questions you have. When you love someone, you think twice about the use of lethal force, whether that force comes from a weapon or your tongue or some other source. And I would suggest that the love that I am talking about is not just something that we should think about as elected or appointed officials who serve in government. I would argue it's something that serves you in business. It's something that serves you in education. It's something that serves you in the nonprofit or for-profit or whatever vocation or sector you find yourself in. Because if you say that your desire is to serve an organization and serve the people in it, you will inevitably find challenges in that service. But if that service is driven by your love for that mission, for the people, for the organization, it would, will make it that much easier to serve through those challenges, to work a little harder, to stay up a little longer, and to press a little harder to meet not just the mission, but the goals 
of the organization. And so that's what we're doing this year. In fact, this is the summer of love. <laughs> I would invite you to go to www.mycity.love and sign up for not just your commitment to loving your city, but I want to encourage you to write a love letter to your city because you don't have to just be an elected or appointed official to love your city, to love the people in it. Every one of us should have some sentiment about where we live, who we serve, that would drive you, that would motivate you to write a love letter. Whether it's because of the fond memories that you have growing up, or it's because of the fond memories that you share now, it doesn't have to be about Cleveland. It could be about the city that you're from the place where you were born. And what we're doing is encouraging folks to express that love. Now, if you travel, like I do, and I've been a few places this week alone, <laughs> you might go to Times Square and see a Love My City billboard. Or you might go to the airport in Cleveland and see a Love My City digital billboard or in Washington, D.C. or in Seattle or in cities across the country because we have found in Clear Channel a corporate partner who has done this at no charge to our organization because they understand the importance of engendering, of promoting, of the value of getting not just elected officials, but all people to love more. Because if we can get people to understand the value of love, now, you know, this isn't new, right? We learned this as little kids. Then maybe we would be kinder and gentler. Maybe we would treat each other more respectfully and with more courtesy. And maybe we would remember that even if we have the most distinct ideological differences, that we can disagree without being disagreeable, that we can attack and confront an issue without necessarily attacking the person, and that when we understand that we are driven by our love for people, our love for country, our love for democracy, that we are more apt and able 
to find common ground by working together. For us, it has meant our desire to create a city for all generations. What does that mean? Well, it means that, um, yes, you want summer programs for your youth, and yes, you want recreational programs for your seniors, but it also means that you want something for every person in between. So I'm going to close with a story. About three months ago, I got a letter. And it was, actually it was more like a year ago, I got a letter from a guy named Oscar Cobb. And Mr. Cobb is um, probably about 80 years old. And we call him the mayor of Glen Ryan, a neighborhood in our community. And Mr. Cobb said, um, in a very loving and respectful way, I don't think that you really care about the seniors in this community. He said um, that people are parking on their lawns in our neighborhood, even though we work really hard to take care of it. He said they don't really cut their grass. And he went on to talk about um, a handful of folks, really, who were in their neighborhood and who weren't really keeping with the practices of some of the other folks in the community. In fact, they have a very strong neighborhood association. And he was saying that he thought that the police ought to come out and be more visible around those concerns. He also said that he often heard us talk about summer programs and back to school events, but he rarely heard us talk about events for seniors. And so, you know, I thought about it. And of course, like anybody else who gets criticism on a regular basis, you think about, well, is that true or isn't it? Well, no, that's not true because we did this and we did that. And then I decided to pick up the phone and call him. And I said, Mr. Cobb, you know, here's what I would tell you about the folks who park on their lawns and who don't necessarily maintain their property like you and your other neighbors do. I said, one of the things that you have the ability to do as a neighbor, even though the police have the authority to do it, is to engage those neighbors, to tell them that your Glen Ryan Neighborhood Association meets on the third Saturday of every month, to tell them that you welcome them to be a part of it and that, by the way, in Glen Ryan, we don't park on our lines. And we cut our grass regularly, and we have 
a direct line of communication with City Hall. So if there are any needs that you have, we will help to ensure that they're met. And I suggested to him that him going to his neighbors would be more effective and that would have a much more long-term impact than the police going to their neighbors. Because quite frankly, the first thing I want to know when, some, when the police come to my house is, who called them? <laughs> so I'm looking around at my neighbors, trying to figure out which one of these neighbors had the audacity to call the police about something as minor as my car being on the front lawn when there are people who are victims of real crime. I told him that he would be more impactful. But the other thing that I committed to do was to host a gathering of seniors to tell them about some of the technological advances that we'd made in the city, like using the 311 system. I told him that we would host informational forms that would allow him to find out about reverse mortgages and other financial issues that seniors sometimes wonder about but don't feel comfortable talking about with individuals that they don't know. I told him we would host a summit that would allow them to get health information. And last year, for the first time in Gary, Indiana, we hosted a senior summit. And it was sponsored by, yep, you guessed it, the AARP. <laughs> but it was also sponsored by the gift of hope. And I told them, don't focus on that. We know that we all have to go at some point. But we were more interested and more des desiring to be supportive of how they live rather than what they did with their organs when they passed away. It was a hit. Mr. Cobb was happy. And uh, all of his colleagues who attended the summit in resounding numbers were happy as well. That worked because I responded to him, not defensively, not indignantly, not even in a way that um, said to him that, well, I don't understand why you're criticizing me. But I thought about his concerns. I responded to him in love. If you think about the course of your day, that nasty gram you get because somebody has keyboard courage. 
and sends you an email that, uh, you know, you wonder, well, now, where are they coming from? That phone call that you get during the course of the day from a colleague or some type of memorandum. The next time you get something like that, or the next time you're inclined to send something like that, think about leading with love, and I'll guarantee you that whatever issue you're trying to solve or confront or resolve will end up that much better. Thank you for the opportunity to join you. And remember, this is the summer of love. Today, we are listening to a forum with the Honorable Karen Freeman Wilson, Mayor of Gary, Indiana, and President of the National League of Cities. We're about to begin the audience Q&A. We welcome questions from everyone. May we have the first question, please? Our first question is a question from Twitter. Could you talk more about how love of our cities and our citizens can be activated to help improve our police departments? That's an, um, an excellent question, uh, and thank you for it. So um, one of the things that I did, and it, it wasn't, um, well, yeah, it was with the National League of Cities as well as the U.S. Conference of Mayors. Shortly after Trayvon Martin um, was killed down in Florida, we um, authored and developed a handbook and guide for developing police and community trust. We did that through the uh, U.S. Conference of Mayors, had a mayors and police chiefs task force to do that, and, and I was honored to chair that group. But we also participated in the uh, 21st Century Policing Commission that President Obama commissioned at that time, and not just said, you guys get together, but you guys get together, come up with a, with a report, and I want to see the results in March. He appointed them in December, and their deadline was March. And as a result of that, there were a number of recommendations about building police and community trust. And at the heart of it was um, one of the things that I think really speaks directly to that question. And that is um, creating forums, opportunities, um, situations where police and community members get to know each other. You trust someone because you know them. I trust Yvette. Now, I like Stephanie, but I just met her. So I don't know if I trust her or not. But because I have had an opportunity to know, to spend time with, and it doesn't mean that it has to be over the course of 5, 10, or 15 years. It's just because you're developing that familiarity, sort of like going to your favorite grocery store or restaurant or, or a place that you go as an individual. Because you're seeing that person, because you're having a small conversation, when a crisis develops, if I'm a police officer and I've seen that person before, even 
if they're charged with doing something that is against the law, then I may exercise a little more patience. By the same token, if I'm that member of the public who sees that this police officer that I know has been charged with using his or her weapon and someone is injured or God forbid someone dies, because I know them and because I've had a dialogue, then I'm less likely to jump to the conclusion that there was a police brutality or some other nefarious reason for them uh, discharging their weapon. And so at the basis of trust is not just a love in that, you know, I'm in love with this police officer, I'm in love with this citizen, but just getting to know them so that you're able to develop that trust. Also, uh, some of the other recommendations talked about how do you also care for police officers because they have a traumatic job. How do you care for communities that experience a lot of violence because there's trauma inherent in that? And I would say at the basis of all of, of, of even paying attention to those things, is a love and a desire to get to the bottom of the issues that we confront. Um, and the same is true with racism, because we understand that the sentiments that drive racism really are at the, uh, are counter to love, counter to love of self and counter to love of other people. And so I, I think all of that is seen with um, some of the issues that have arisen around the country and certainly here in Cleveland with Tamir Rice as it relates to um, how our police officers relate to our community. Hello, Leader, Leader Wilson. My name is Dante Gresham. I am a fifth year Lewis Stokes Scholar. My career aspirations are to enter into politics, become a United States Senator, and run for President of the United States of America and win. <laughs> Currently, I'm running for City Council for the City of Euclid for Ward 3. And my question is, I have one question but a two-parter. Two are there any efforts in helping people that are re-entering into society from jail and or prison? And then also, how can we establish that love for those individuals and lift that stigma? That is, um, thank you. Thank you for that question. And, and I meant to say earlier, I, I think it is rich and, and uh, it speaks volumes of the City Club for all of these young people to be here. Um, so thank you all for being here. Um, so there are a number of um, measures that are being taken both nationally and locally. Uh, the Second Chance Act was a huge um, effort to really provide uh, an opportunity for people to not only return to their communities, but to return to their communities as uh, productive citizens, to understand that uh, one act or two act or three acts 
don't define who you are. And that at the end of the day, when people come back to a community, what we want to, them to be is contributing citizens. Now, the reality of that is that we have a lot of policies, uh, our public housing policy, our educational policy in terms of getting federal and sometimes state grants is not consistent with what we say. You know, we say one thing, but if you look at the policies that govern individuals, we do another. But what is happening now is you pe see people like Van Jones and others, Kim Kardashian, who are working together to form a coalition that is really working to bring policy in line with what we know. Here's what we know. There's only a handful, and I can tell you this with great assurance because I practiced criminal law for 20 years. There's only a handful of folk that are going to be in jail for a long, long time, and quite frankly, who belong there. They're called sociopaths. Um, but the overwhelming majority, whether it's one year or two years or 10 years or 20 years, is going to come back and live next door to me or somebody else in this room. The question is, do you want them to come back and have the tools to succeed? Or do you always want to be looking and making sure your car is locked and your door is locked and all of these things are locked because you haven't provided that opportunity? And I think that's where um, coalitions at the local level come in. Uh, we have a reentry coalition in Gary that does job fairs. Every time a new business comes to town, um, other than uh, a asking them how many jobs I, they have, I ask them, will you hire those who have been convicted of felonies, returning citizens? Because here's the thing, I want you to hire somebody who's embezzled $5 million as your controller. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm really talking about giving people an opportunity to um, be contributing members of their community, to support their children, to have a sense of pride, to own a home. And just because you've been to jail or you've committed a crime, you shouldn't be counted out. Um, we can't afford to count anybody out, to be honest. We just can't. And, um, and that's a challenge. They're doing it better some places than others. But I think that when we all embrace that spirit, that we'll all be uh, better off. Thank you. Uh, time permitting, I have two, two quick questions. Uh, any additional thoughts you might have for that young man who's running for public office, number one? And then uh, number two, uh, that was an awesome story that you shared. Can you tell us a little bit about how you communicate uh, with the citizens of Gary, Indiana, so that they understand um, you know, the, the impact of your uh, uh, desire uh, to extend uh, your mantra of love to each and every one of them as citizens of the, the city of Gary, Indiana. Thank you. And um, so here's the advice that I would um, tell you. Shake as many hands as you can. <laughs> um, knocking on doors, 
And I, I think it's certainly doable in a ward uh, that you're running in. You know, knock every door as many times as you can. And not to tell people, as, not to as much tell people about yourself, although you want to do that, but to hear what their concerns are and to talk about how you might be able to meet their concerns. I hear people all over the country who talk about winning races with less money, but because they got out and they went door to door. And of course, you know, you're young, so you know about the use of social media. And uh, that allows you to touch as, uh, even more people than uh, normal because of the wide reach of social media. So when you ask how I communicate with the citizens of Gary, I'm very active on Twitter, less so on Facebook, but um, you know, folks send me information by Twitter. I have 15 minutes with the mayor. In fact, yesterday, I sat with folks, I think we did it for two, two and a half hours yesterday. Folks came in, you have 15 minutes to tell me whatever you wanna tell me, or to ask me any question you wanna ask me. And sometimes people do just that. But most times, people come in with issues that really need to be resolved and that are not just personal to them, but are relevant to other citizens. So we learn that it's an issue that we really need to look at. But more importantly, they come with ideas for helping us succeed as a community. Um, I also communicate by email. People know that they can email me, they can text me. I do a radio show, uh, actually two shows every month, and at the end of each show, I give out my email address and my cell number. And I tell them, I say, you know, now you can call me, but more often than not, I'm gonna be in a meeting during the day. I said, but if you text me, then I will text you back a time if you need to have a conversation, or I just have a text conversation with you. But, you know, um, and, and what I find, because my senior, more senior citizens, or they call them um, the experience class, <laughs> they tend to want the phone call, and they know to reach me very early uh, or very late. But uh, for our younger folk, they don't mind texting and emailing. And, um, you know, my thing, and getting to as many community events as possible. How you doing, Leader Wilson? My name is Antonio Johnson. I'm a first year Louis Stowe Scholar, and I plan on going to Bowling Green to go a major in music and theater. I wanted to ask one question. As a person coming from a community where it's very riddled in hate and violence and coming from people that like to tear down people that want to do good, how do we break down those walls and barriers to get to the inside of what we really want to get to, to get to the heart of love? Because when you try to use love in communities in Cleveland or in certain communities anywhere, there are a lot of people that like to tear that down. So there, there are many, and thank you so much for that question. Um, there are many similarities between Gary and Cleveland. And here's what I know about Gary and I would suspect about Cleveland, that the overwhelming majority of people think like you and I do. 
that they want to see the good in other folks. It's just a handful of people who are wreaking havoc out here. But those of us who know better and who want to do better have gotten really quiet, almost deafeningly so. And so we have to understand that we got to act like the majority and rule. You know, why would we let a handful of knuckleheads run around? And I don't even think that's who, who they are to their core. They've just gotten into that pattern. And if we demonstrate that to them, then I think they'd be more inclined to come over to our side than having us go to theirs. Uh, that means that you have to suffer rejection every now and then. But that's okay because the mission is worth it. Thank you. Um, Mayor Freeman Wilson, thank you for your comments. Uh, considering the historic tensions between Gary and its surrounding communities and Gary and Indianapolis, could you talk about the challenges of social and economic development, especially when the national conversation about sort of blue collar workers or working class people tends to include people of color? Thank you for um, that question. Uh, Mr. Peterson. I'm like Santa Claus. I tell people that all the time. I know everything. Um, Mr. Peterson is from Gary, right? Um, so the, um, it, it's interesting because Gary was once the jewel of Northwest Indiana. And it sort of coincided with Mayor Hatcher's election uh, there was obviously the downturn of steel and other manufacturing, the depopulation, uh, white flight, all of that came together to really um, make it easy for poverty, crime, uh, other challenges to uh, take its place and um, really create a lot of difficulty in our community. But a lot of that was driven by racism. You know, there was no reason to leave town the day after the election. You didn't know if he was going to be a good mayor or a bad mayor. But because he looked different than all of the other mayors, and, and ironically, the other mayors had a sordid past. I mean, there were some corrupt mayors in the history of Gary. So this argument about, oh, this black man is going to be elected, he's going to tear up the city, he's going to do this. It, you know, now, I know y'all know a little bit about that, right? Uh, because it was happening here at the same time. But what has since happened is that they understand, those who have moved to the um, suburbs and who say that I I was born in Gary, I went to this high school, I went to that high school. You can't move the assets. That lake is not going anywhere. It is always going to be just north of Gary. And not just the lake, but the widest swath of lake is in Gary. The National Park, 61st National Park in Gary. You can't move it. The airport, part of the Chicago Department of Aviation, is in Gary. And 
And so now folks are understanding that that tendency to um, look at things and people and cities through a racist lens, it doesn't serve them because at the end of the day, they're going to have to navigate. Now, now what, is it, what it has resulted in, though, is sort of this takeover spirit, if you will. Uh, the desire to say, well, you know, now that I understand this is where the assets are, I want to take them over or I want to control them. And, um, and that was really what was at play in many instances in this last election. Uh, some of you don't know that the reason that I'm ending my term is that I lost the election. And it was a result of a local newspaper that's not even in Gary deciding that, you know, um, there were assets in the city that should have been dealt with in a different way. So I, I think that it's important to be, continue to be vocal, to continue to be vigilant. And at the end of the day, you can't look at every person who's different um, as a racist. You know, I think that there are well-meaning people from every color and hue. And it's important for those of us who are well-meaning to come together. Now, you know, sometimes you have to navigate through the ones who aren't. But I think it's at the end of the day, in order to get things done, you have to do that. And, and in many instances with the airport, um, with the work that's being done at the lakefront, both the development and the, um, economic, the uh, preservation and environmental work, we've been able to do that. Uh, even downtown and the work that we've done um, with the public art project, uh, because what it was, it wasn't just public art, it was a culinary incubator that we've also turned into a, a business incubator. So we've been able to do that and we've been able to do it with the support of places like the Legacy Foundation, that's in Maryville. So it's just a matter of, of finding the folks who, who want to do the right thing and working with them. 30 years ago, I had the pleasure of taking a politics course from Mayor Richard Hatcher. Wow. And I wonder if you could reflect upon what leadership lessons you learned from the people who trailed, you know, broke uh, the glass ceiling before you. Um, we've also spent a lot of time reflecting in this past year on Mayor Stokes and, and the leadership lessons that we can learn from him. So I just want to hear your personal experience. So one of the greatest gifts that I've had as uh, both a young woman, really as a kid, and now as an elected official who stands on the shoulders of, of Mayor Richard Gordon Hatcher is the fact that I've had a relationship with him since I was seven years old. We weren't related. Uh, my parents uh, worked every day, but while he was campaigning, they hosted a house party. And so as an only child, 
Of course, I did what the adults did. So I went to the basement and listened to this man who I didn't know talk about his aspirations and dreams for the city. I decided then that I wanted to do what he was trying to do. Now, I was a little girl. I had no idea that it would take literally 45 years or 40 years before that could even be possible. But throughout the course of time, he was so generous with his time to not just me, all young people, when he would see us in the community, how are you doing? Not just saying, hi, I'm the mayor, but really engaging. Uh, I remember I made the unadvised decision to go, uh, to not accept my admission to Harvard. I'll just say it that way. And he called me to his office and he said, um, I understand that you've gotten into Harvard, but that you've chosen another school. And, and I'll tell you what the school was. It was General Motors Institute. I had visions of having a 1978 Pontiac Trans Am <laughs> and being on my own. That was, that was my focus at the age of 17. And he said, that's not a very good idea. Now, I spent, I spent three days at the Bedford Foundry, and then I came to the realization that he was right. <laughs> But he spent that time, and so then to be able now to sit with him as an elected official and to hear him say, you always have to listen more than you talk. You always have to, uh, the, the message that I shared with Mr. Peterson about finding out who the good people are, you know, even with the vitriolic racism that he experienced, he never came to the conclusion that white folks were bad. That was never his position. He understood that there was good and bad in every race. He understood that the, all black folks weren't good. And so he was able to convey that message. And, um, and then a practical, um, message that he gave that people say all the time, but he demonstrated to me was there are no, no permanent friends, no permanent in, enemies, just permanent interest. And I say that because um, when I won in 2011, I beat his daughter. <laughs> but he was the one who encouraged us to work together. Now, it took a few years before either of us, I would say, was really open to that. But when we became allies, we were able to do some really good things on behalf of the community. And, and you know, that was something that he really promoted. And so it is going to, one of the things that I'm going to take the greatest joy in is sometime in September unveiling a statue that is in honor of him on the grounds of City Hall.
Today at the City Club, we have been listening to a forum with the Honorable Karen Freeman Wilson, Mayor of Gary, Indiana, and President of the National League of Cities. We're happy to have all of you with us today. And that brings us to the end of today's forum. Thank you, Mayor Freeman Wilson, and thank you, members and friends of the City Club. This forum is now adjourned. For information on upcoming speakers or for podcasts of the City Club, go to cityclub.org. Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC and the Raskin Family Fund, with additional funding from Robert Conrad, Cleveland State University, the Chautauqua Institution, the Cleveland Clinic, and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated.